There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper, and wonderful to be back with you again for another week. I just had a week's holiday, and it's uh, it's awesome to be talking to you on the Business Elevation Show with another wonderful guest. I have Brant Pinvidic today, who I'm just so excited to introduce you to, and I'm loving his new book, seriously. It's, I'm already putting some of it into action in my own business. So I'll introduce um, Brant to you very shortly, and before I do that, I'd like to say a big thank you to Drew Tarvin, that's Andrew Tarvin, who likes to be called Drew, who was my guest a couple of weeks ago on a show that was about humor that works and so we we're really picking apart um, how we can utilize humor as leaders as as managers as business people you know and where the where the lines are um, within our work to build greater engagement with our staff and stakeholders and whoever we're engaging with and we've got another show today which is is kind of engagement linked it's uh, we're going to talk about pitches um because i think and I think this is a very unique and an important conversation we're going to have today because uh, pitches is a, a subject we've covered before. Um, but my guest today has a brilliant methodology, a really tried and tested methodology uh, to be really successful in the pitch uh, sort of scenario and presentation scenario. Um, I'd like to say a big um, thank you to um, uh, Wendy Keller of KellerMedia.com. Wendy's a top literary agent. She's been on the show before. She's a, she's a brilliant person in my network, and I love um, uh, my relationship with Wendy. And she always um, passes across because she has amazing clients, the most amazing people for me to interview. So a huge thank you to Wendy Keller of Keller Media for this introduction to Brandt. So now when it comes to pitches... You know, some people think that the longer, flashier, more detailed, more elaborate they make them, the more likely they're to be successful. Is that true? Um, I'm not sure about that, um, but I know my guest, Brandt, will have some strong words today about this. Um, he's an award-winning film director. He's a veteran television producer, though looking at his um, his photographs, he doesn't look um, to me like he's a veteran. It's amazing because he uh, looks very young. Uh, and um, he's a C-level sales and presentation coach. He's a keynote speaker. He's a top-rate podcast host. He's a columnist for Ford. And he's been named um, to the Hollywood Reporter's 30 most powerful reality TV sellers. And he's widely recognized as one of the most uh, the greatest creative sales leaders in Hollywood. So he's got an incredible CV. He directed and starred in the breakout film, Why I'm Not on Facebook. He's created and produced more than 300 TV and film projects. He's taken his life, business and storytelling lessons that he developed during his Hollywood career and he's using them to create a unique bridge between the entertainment industry and the business community. In 2019 or this year now, it's, I think it's out, his uh, Penguin Random House uh, released uh, his highly anticipated book, The Three Minute Rule, which I've had the privilege of, uh, of working through. And it, it is brilliant, honestly. Um, I'm really, really happy to and um, strongly endorse this. I think it will have a huge impact on people and the way they pitch and present. Uh, he details a system that helped hundreds uh, from Fortune 100 CEOs to PTA presidents say less to get more both personally and professionally. 
So let's um, find out about um, this process and the three-minute rule and how to create a really compelling three-minute pitch. So I'm delighted, Brant. Uh, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Chris. I'm going to take you on the road. That's a great intro. I really enjoyed that. Uh, so it's a pleasure. And I meant it. I, seriously, I, I really have enjoyed our, our engagement so far with this, uh, this interview. And I really do think that this is um, a subject we need to be talking about. And I think it's a brilliantly... Uh, sort of well a brilliant um really researched because it's come out of your sort of tried and tested experience so let's talk about that uh, yeah. soon. but before we do that um i'd like you to tell us a little about your life as a, as a child and and how this led to this fascinating career in television production and film directing um you know as, as a child I, I had a lot of trouble finding my way i was a big personality not very mature so I was always trying different things, different ideas, different sort of ventures that I would get into. I grew up in Canada. It doesn't have the same sort of entrepreneurial opportunity and spirit that the United States does. So I found a lot of struggle. But one of the things that taught me uh, a lot of what I teach today, even today, is that when I was raising money for specific projects. And there was times where if I didn't get someone to write a check and join in that day, I might not be able to eat. And I started to realize that the more desperate I was to get their money, the less likely they were to hand over a check or get involved because they could sense it. So I had to develop a skill to sort of like calm those desires and to keep that need from my audience so they didn't see how badly I need it. Because when people sense how badly you want something, they start to understand that you'll say anything to get it. And so as I grew into more maturity and a little bit more this sort of understanding of the business and, and transition into, into Hollywood, I realized that a lot of those skills helped me stay in, in that mode when I was pitching a TV show. And so I, I was able to keep just the core of the information. I wasn't overselling. I wasn't overpromising. I wasn't making people feel like I was saying whatever it would take to make this sale. I was just conveying information. And the more it happened, just the better things happen, you know, the, the better things turned out for me. So I started to really develop that skill. And did you, uh, it felt like you sort of, you, you know, jump from, you know, being in Canada to, you know, suddenly you're pitching for TV shows. I mean, there must be, yeah. is, is, is this, um, you know, is this, this, this career, uh, was it inspired by your family? Were they in that kind of a field or did you just um, apply for a job one day and it, no, no, I was I was actually running t like I was running bars and nightclubs that I was just starting and and we used to play all these games in the nightclub and I used to do that on you know football Sundays to try to keep people in the bar longer and I thought this would make a great TV show. No other reason that I just thought it'd make a great TV show and so I learned a lot of hard lessons about how Canadian TV works versus what I thought TV was supposed to work and I'd spent all my money developing this show and spend all my money traveling around trying to film it. And I just could not get any traction on it. And I was so convinced that it would be something great that I just wouldn't let it go. And I finally got a meeting down in the United States with this very sort of low-level producer. And I flew down and I showed her the, the outline. And then she called a little bit higher-level producer. And then that producer called a little bit higher-level producer. And, and so by the, you know, by the time the, the week was over, I had offers from every network and and so it was like an almost an instant transition from being a struggling entrepreneur in Canada to being, you know, sort of the toast of Hollywood of, hey, this guy's got a new show. Let's let's get him down here and start working. 
And that's kind of when I went from there. And my agent at the time, and I didn't even know what agents did at the time, but he had said to me, he's like, you need to make sure every single pitch that you do for every show from this point on is at the same level of that show that you just brought down here. That's and good. so he, he kind of forced me to be different and to, and to stand out in a time when the television industry was very loose and it was a f- kind of a feeding frenzy. American Idol had just taken off. Um, Survivor was a huge hit and, and the networks were clamoring to get more ideas. And so producers would just walk in with things in a napkin and ideas and sort of chat them through. And I was coming in with full-blown researched well laid out detailed pitches most of that came from a, just kind of a lack of confidence i just didn't feel like i had enough to just wander in there and chat so and that kind of separated me from the crowd pretty early in my career and i kind of stuck with that all the way through mm. and, and and but did, i mean you, you say you came back with you know really well researched and rounded proposals and things but was there's something i sort of sense with you is that you know, a lot, a lot of people present information, but actually what you're able to do is to connect people, you know, a bit more with their hearts by the way you, uh, you, you, you don't throw information at them. You give them what they need. Yeah. And I think it, it was again, like if you've, if you've had to try to convince someone to write you a check or you're not going to eat that day, like it, pitching a TV show then becomes not so difficult. Like, and it was a matter of like, okay, what does this show look like? How does it work? How do I explain it to you? How do I get you to see what I see? And I really focused on that. And one of the first things I learned in the network pitching model is they just don't have tolerance for chit chat and they don't have tolerance for long winded explanations and they don't want to be sold. They take, you know, dozens and dozens of pitches from dozens of producers every single day. They know every television show. They know their network inside and out. And they just don't want you to tell them things that they already know. They just want to get to the point. And one specific incident, like early in my career, I was sitting in the lobby at CBS waiting to go in and Simon Cowell walked out. He had just pitched a show and he bumped into Mark Burnett, who was coming in and would be pitching right after me. And so I was wedged between these two mega producers. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, there's no way that the president of this network wants to sit there and have a fun conversation and just in, you know, illuminate my ideas about these show he just wants me to get in there and explain it and get out like and so i remember that pitch so vividly as i just sort of went in and went right through it and i didn't try to ingratiate myself to this guy and i didn't try to overplay my hand or anything i just gave him what the show was and how it worked and why i thought it was good and and how it could work on his network and i just remember thinking like wow that was super effective and that kind of really started to develop my system and my style. And once you start saying less and getting more, it kind of becomes addictive. And, and do you think this this kind of approach, it, it works for, you know, all interactions where there's people? I'm even thinking about, you know, sort of sales presentations where people are sharing information online as well as face-to-face. Yeah, I mean, it's it's core to our communication style, particularly in today's world. Like nobody wants to be sold anything. Everybody is super skeptical. And with the attention span sort of deficit that we have is, and people sort of believe that our attention spans are, are shrinking so small. And there's this Microsoft study that I always reference that shows that our attention span is down to 8.2 seconds and a goal of vicious nine seconds. 
And the truth is you start to feel like, you know, people are mindless zombies distracted by everything. But it's actually to- the, the complete and total opposite is that people focus more intensely and efficiently now. So if they do focus on something, they do it at a high level and they only focus to get what they need. And if you don't give them what they need when they're focusing on you, bang, they are tuned out in like an 8.2 second instant. So it really helps if you can if you can find the pattern to hold people's attention, keep that attention, and then so you can feed that information why they're while they're focused on you, so that when they're making their decision, they have as much information as you can possibly give them, and that decision making process lasts about three minutes if you're lucky, and so that's sort of where I built that three minute rule. Excellent. And just before we get to the three minute rule, something I I loved when I first spoke to you. I just uh, I, I love your sort of engaging style and uh, and your energy. And uh, it's something I you know, endeavor with my style to keep um, keep sort of consistent if I, as much as I can. Um, but you talked to me about, um, you know, that you changed direction and, and you started to move on to the work that you do now. But you still maintain a high intensity sort of lifestyle. And I think this high intensity, I wonder if it also, you know, links into the sort of three minute rule. But just, just tell us what, what high intensity lifestyle is uh and and what that means to you because i think it's 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 helpful to think about the way that you live and and also it's um it relates to i think uh, the way people need to be pitched to today if that makes sense yeah well it's funny because i i get to speak a lot about this lately because i think it really resonates and i did a forbes article about it and it kind of blew up and the idea is that i take the same level of intensity that i would take to the office or working on a tv show or to get that level of accomplishment. And I try to bring that to every element of my life. And I remember specifically when I started doing this is when my wife didn't want to go to the beach. I wanted to take my three kids to the beach. They were about three, six, and nine, I think at the time. And she didn't want to go. So I took all three of them by myself, which was probably the first time I'd ever do that. And at that age, it was just like, it was a crazy idea for me to do that. But I remember as I was getting to the beach thinking to myself, okay, if the host of a game show had come out here onto the onto the beach and said, okay, Brand, this is the contest. For the next three hours, you have three kids under nine years old. Your job is to keep them fed, keep them alive, make them have the most fun you can possibly have. And if you can do that, you'll win a prize. And I remember thinking that through the entire afternoon. And I mean, I was super dad because I think there was a prize at the end. That's how I was performing. And as I got back to my car and I was packing the kids up, these three women came up to me and they're like, I'm sorry, we just have to say we've been watching you all afternoon. And it is amazing to watch you with these kids. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And I felt this like this victory, this pride. And I was like, that's the way I feel when I sell a TV show. Or that's the way I would feel when a show came on the air and I got the ratings the next morning. And so I started to bring this sort of high intensity parenting. And then I started to do that in my marriage. And then I started to do it on vacation. And I started to build the idea of winning the situation in every possible situation you can find. And it, it, it led me to practice the ability to feel that victory. And now I like, I, I, you know, I work with major sports teams and and I've had, you know, huge athletes walking a flight of stairs, having a contest with, with each other to see who can walk the, the flight of stairs the best. And I say, like, when you're leaving this the parking lot, which one of you will have the best interaction with the parking lot intended? Imagine if there was a prize for that. And so if you practice that, that intensity in everything you do, it makes it 
easier when you really want to turn it on because you'll be used to it and that physiological effect translate across your entire life and it's been it's been a fascinating study that's, that's awesome hey we've got a couple of minutes to commercial break now um i think it kind of leads us nicely on just to just to sort of frame the the book because it's the three is the three minute rule and uh, as you mentioned it's about uh, you know pitching you've got three minutes which um feels like uh, you know, an intense period of time um why does the world need this right now? Uh, because I think that everything we've been taught for so long is to try to overwhelm your audience with information and to to lead them and sell them. And what I really focus on in the three minutes rule is, is that your audience, anybody you're talking to for any reason, wants the core of your information as quickly, cleanly, and concisely as you can deliver it so that they can make their own decision and go from there. And I feel like it's it's this revolution that's kind of building of the idea that if we could just say a little bit less, keep to the actual facts, we'll all communicate better and it'll make everybody happier, it seems like, at this point. Uh, I think that's uh, really, yeah, really important in today's world. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think if you can if you can help reduce the, the length of some of the presentations that we have to listen to occasionally in life, um, then that's uh, got to be a good thing, too. Um, I wonder how many how many um, hours of my life have disappeared from listening to presentations <laughs> when I wished I was somewhere yeah. else, <laughs> and possibly in the early days they're delivering them too. So we should yeah. Learn. Well, after the break, I'll I'll explain. Like it's not just about shortening the presentation; it's also about getting the most important information up front and first, so it's heard, and that's really hard to do as well. Excellent. And I realize that is a real art to that. So we'll, we'll come back. We'll talk more about uh, this after the break and the art to, to really doing that, uh, showing that information in a very effective kind of engaging way, which um, Brandt is, uh, you know, is a real expert at doing. So we're we'll back again with you again in just a couple of minutes. So do hang on. Do join us very shortly. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. 
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Brant Pinvidic. We're talking about the three-minute rule, which is Brant's new book. And uh, Brant, I'd love if, if you could just... I think it, I think the story, the extreme weight loss loss story in the book, it it really for me sort of captured why this is so important. And uh, you know, b- before we start to talk about you know, top line, what the process is, um, it'd just be lovely if you could just share that story fairly, you know, sort of briefly, um, if, if you well, can. Yeah, so I think. I mean, just... that that really was the start of this entire process. Is you know, early in my career, I was trying to crack this weight loss program and the idea of how we could do weight loss over a really long period of time, follow someone's incredible journey. And it's impossible for me now to explain how bad the pitch was back then. It was so convoluted because the show was very complicated. And so we'd have these meetings internally in the company where I have my various employees come in to research, like rehearse the pitch. So I could try it out before I got into the network room. And every single time, the people I would bring in were like, huh, I, I don't get it. Why are you doing this? And they'd be asking questions before I was done. It was just a mess. And normally these things take about a week to crack. And I was probably like more than a month trying to get this one show. And it was making me crazy. And we had on the on our entire giant whiteboard all these post-it notes with all the different thoughts to try to figure out what are we supposed to say when. And and I, for whatever reason, that particular day, as I was staring at those post-it notes and everybody was arguing over how we're going to pitch it, it just sort of like became clear how much I was overcooking this idea and I was just trying way too hard. And and it was funny because I, for the first time, I don't, I don't think I've done it since, as I picked up the phone and I called the head of ABC and I said, I need to see you today. I need to, I'm, I'm driving over right now. You got to take, give me a five minute meeting. And everybody in the company is like, what are you doing? Like, we're not ready to pitch this show. And I was just like, we're, we're way more than ready. I know how to do this. And so I drove to ABC. I had to wait an hour and something in the lobby for him to be ready. He was a little bit, you know, put out with me, like that I, that I'd forced myself in there. And he was just like, okay, you got five minutes. And I pitched extreme makeover weight loss edition to him in nine sentences. And the entire meeting lasted less than five minutes from saying hello to closing the door. And it was so clear and so clean and it, and it affected the ability for him to understand it right away. And I saw it, he knew exactly what I was saying. And he asked me two questions and I walked out the door. And two hours later I got a call and they were like, how many episodes do you need to get this under a million dollars an episode? And I was just like, oh my God, like, have I been doing that to every single pitch, just overthinking it and overdoing it and trying to make the language work? And so from that moment, I started this bullet point post-it notes process for every single show. And, you know, my sort of track record from that moment on is a testament to that system. And that's what became the three-minute rule. And do you think that what I sense that you weren't doing that, you you, you suddenly realized with this um, this process and the uh, and bullet pointing these uh, these points and showing this uh, in 90 seconds to him um do you think in some ways you're kind of bypassing this 
this sales game that we we go on you know people can try and do more and more elaborate presentations to try and impress in a sales pitch kind of situation but actually you just cut through all of that by just telling them in an engaging way uh, the honest truth about what it is yes uh, i mean it was just revolutionary because i also realized that he knew how to make a tv show like he understood the process of television he ran a network so so much of what i was going to be explaining in the pitch up front kind of he would have already known if he understood the general concept and how we were going to do it and why we made those decisions the rest of the tv elements and all the nuances he would have a pretty good idea of you know like if he was working with me or for me or around me like he could have came up with this idea so it allowed me to sort of cut all that out and just get to the core points. What is it? How does it work? Here's why I'm sure this is a good idea and here's how we'll pull it off. And if you just stick to those four categories and lay them out in that order, your audience gets it and then they can engage. There's a huge difference between information and engagement. And the number one mistake I see with my clients is they have their engagement information up front and mixed in with the information. And if you don't have context for the information, the value isn't there. It's valuable to you. You understand it. Not valuable to your audience. They don't get it yet. And so you you need to create that trail, that trail of information that leads them to that aha moment. Brilliant. So so can you outline then the, the, the three-minute process for us? Yeah. The, the, the main thing about the three-minute rule is to, to focus on your what I call statements of value, the core elements that make what you're pitching or presenting or wanting to convince other people of that become the most valuable. And once you can get those statements of value there, then you look at what's the order that, the, that, that your audience is going to rationalize this, this, the decision. And I write a lot about what's called the rationalization story, which is Every decision we make, and I'd ask your audience, think about why you drive the car you drive or you live in the house you live in, two of the biggest purchases in your entire life, and you could explain it to yourself in your mind in five or six questions. And that's called the rationalization story, is we make a rationalization for everything we do. So what I try to get people to do is to follow that rationalization story in the way they present their information. And we make that decision-making process in the three categories. First, we conceptualize it. Then we contextualize it, as in how does it relate to us? And then we actualize it, as in how do I get it? What's possible? And so when you build those statements of value and lay them out in that order and let your audience conceptualize what's happening, then they contextualize how it's going to work for them, and then they can actualize how do I get it, how do I buy it, when's it available. They will make the decision-making process easy for themselves, and you'll mimic the way they're going to tell other people and the way they tell themselves why they bought into your proposal. And that, that in essence, is the three-minute rule. And then does this enable them to then to um, be able to articulate it? Because you're not going, you're not sharing a... You know, a huge presentation here to be able to more cleanly articulate this to others and maybe in a, uh, a more engaged kind of way. Yeah, because, you know, and as, as you read in the book, I have this thing called the whack method, right, which is the four questions and the pillars of that decision, which is what is it? How does it work? Are you sure? And can you do it? And after you have your statements of value, I can I show you in the book how to decide which of those categories that information fits in so that when you go to present, you're leading your audience and you starting with what is it 
as you explain what the concept is and how does it work. So you're literally explaining how the concept works or, or why it's valuable. And then are you sure as those facts and figures and logic and reason that verify those things? And the problem a lot of people do is they try to verify their statements before they've even made the statements. And that's a big problem. And then the are you sure is like kind of only important once you understand the concept. And if you're talking about when I say, can you do it, which is sort of like, how much does it cost? That, that kind of thing. That's the easiest to understand if, you, if you're already bought in. And that formula just works for all types of conversation. Like people just want to know what it is. That's the first thing they want to get. Let me get under the understanding. Then we can talk about the details. Excellent. So, so these questions are kind of in the, 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 the way that the listener will want to receive that information. So, you know, what, what is it? What, it, what is it? What is he talking about? How is it? Um, how is it going to work? Um, are you sure? Is that just to reaffirm in sort of confidence, maybe in facts and figures and that sort of thing that yeah, uh, that's, works? that's because that's sort of like the verification stage where it's like the reason that you believe it, the reason why you think what it is and how it works are going to be effective and what's led you to that conclusion. Once your audience understands that and understands what it is and how it works, they'll then put like value to your logic and your reason and your facts and your figures because they'll understand the concept. So now they'll be looking to verify it as well, but they'll be looking to verify your information from a place of want and desire because they'll like it. You've laid it out right in front of them of why it's good and how it works. Now it's like, okay, it's almost like a prove it to me. How did you get there? Why do you believe in it? Those kind of things really take flight once your audience can conceptualize and contextualize what it is you're talking about. And that's where the biggest frustration is, is that if you live with your information, you know it so well and you understand it. And that's why you believe in it and why you're there trying to explain to somebody else. And that big frustration comes when you're telling them all the great things and they just don't get it and people just can't understand how that happens it's like because you haven't led your audience effectively yeah and is that can you do it is that is that giving me confidence that um you know if you brand you are offering the service that brand could deliver it or is it um is it also giving me the confidence that maybe you know, there's a way that i could buy it yeah, it's it's really like, how do I make this real? And what's interesting is, is when you look at those four questions, they're actually stacked in the order of importance as well. You know, I say, what is it is about 50% of your battle. How does it work is another 30%. And by the time you get to, are you like, you know, are you sure it's maybe 15% of whether people are going to buy in and the, can you do it? The price and when's it available? And are you equipped? is really only 5%. If somebody's bought into your idea and there's a problem that you can't actually deliver it or it's not available for six months or it's going to be expensive, they'll find a way around that. And I, you know, I tell the story about The Biggest Loser where, you know, that's a great pitch. It was super clear when you're talking about, are you sure it's the idea that Americans are so overweight and they're going to relate to this journey. But when it came to like, can you do it? The answer kind of was no. The the producer that had, had come up with the original idea for The Biggest Loser wasn't a producer. He didn't have the ability to pull that show off. And so it's not like the network was like, oh, we love this idea. Sorry, you don't know how to produce it. It was like, let's solve the problem. We like it. We want to be in this business. And that's when they called my company and we ended up being in The Biggest Loser. So, and that's what I have to train people is like, you know, 
oil and gas guys, when they want to start their presentation with, I used to work at Chevron, I know all these things. It's like, uh, that doesn't help you right now. That comes later because you got to let people understand what's happening first, and then your background will have relevance. These are great. Now, one, one of the things, well, to get to the, to be able to use the, the WAC sort of process, you, you need to sort of um, bullet point all of the areas of value that you offer. How do you best do this? I can imagine you could end up with, you know, 50, 60, 70 bullet points um, explaining the product or service or the, the, the area that you're going to pitch. How do you best do that and then refine them down to and categorize them and prioritize them? Yeah. Well, it's funny because in the book, as you'll see, like it starts out with 20 or 30 bullet points. And then I, I show you how to do the, the exercise that of, to catch all the things you've missed. Um, because I play, a, I play this game called, I don't get it where it's imagine if everything you said, someone says, I don't get it. And you had to explain every bullet point and you find some gold in there that you didn't realize. Right. Because when you know something so well, you sometimes skip over elements that are important. And simplification is probably my biggest message is like, you got to make it simple. And simple is the new sexy. People want simple elements that they are just laid out. So a lot of times when I work with people, you are up to 50 or 60 bullet points, which is great. But if you, you know, in the book where you see, I, I play the before and after game as well, where I show you exactly how to say, how to walk through those bullet points and be like, okay, what does an audience need before this? And what do they need after this? And by the time you go through this exercise, you've got almost like a linear set of bullet points in front of you. And you realize, okay, like I can see without this information, this bullet point isn't as valuable. I got to move it here. And that, that you'll see that actually lays out your pitch almost on its own. And, and then if you're only in bullet points, you're not using a bunch of crazy words and, and big adjectives that, that poison the audience. Because if you're talking about this is the greatest this and it's going to revolutionize that, which a lot of people do, you're instantly sending skepticism your way. Mm-hmm. And what else do we need to know to really get to that core three minutes? Um, I, you know, one of the other big pieces that I talk about is if you're trying to lay out the alphabet from A to Z, you really don't need to say every letter. People understand things in the middle. And, you know, one of the great exercises that I start with almost every time is I have a bullet point sheet of 30, basically 30 small phrases and bullet points on a company they've never heard of. They have no idea what they do. They don't understand anything about it. And I put that sheet in front of them and I ask them, okay, read through this. Now pitch me back what this company does. And you'd be shocked at how well and how complete people will, will regurgitate a perfect idea and the exact what that business does based on 30 bullet points. And when I met that company, they were speaking for 30 minutes about their company. And so I urge people at home to try that, like bullet point your idea in just simple bullet points and hand it to someone who has no idea what you do and see what comes back. You'll be shocked. Mm. Yeah, just a... Uh, I suppose you know companies that used to be very kind of heavy on text with websites. It's it's a little bit less so now, but still some companies are. And what you're saying here is you just with you know a few small phrases we can uh, really help people very quickly because they've got limited attention spans to uh, to engage with us. Yeah, and and again, there's a difference between informing someone and engaging with them. And once you've informed them and they buy in and and you've got them to that stage then the engagement phase could last an hour. 
It could last three weeks, whatever it is, but they're engaging from a place of interest. And that information will then have the most value and context to them. And what I see a lot with a lot of companies is, is that they have very valuable pieces of information that they really want their audience to understand. So they want to get it in there right away. And they, and, and without the context around it, it just doesn't have the same value to your audience. And, and anybody listening will know, like when you've gone into pitch or present something to anybody and you think it's going to go so well and you walk out of the room and you think you did great and then they just don't get it. And you're like, how did that happen? And it's mostly because you're trying to engage with someone who doesn't have the full conceptual and contextual understanding. Yeah. So, so what, what I liked about in the book was the way you, you, know, you talk about some of the pitches that you've been involved in and you, you, know, you share your th- three-minute uh, sort of pitch. And, of course, you've done all of the due diligence and the work behind it. But um, what you do is you, you answer the questions of the people who are in that room. Um, so you're giving them what they need rather than what you think they might want. Yeah, and it's there's two sort of elements to that, right? Like y- you don't know what really what they want. And to try to be that to them and to try to make your pitch around what you think they want comes across now today as a little arrogant and can be off-putting right away. Mm. It's, you know, they know what they want. Let them take the information and derive how it's going to help them in what they want. You you lay it out as the as the map and the details. You let them apply it to their situation. People appreciate that now more than ever. Yeah, great. Well, we're going to go to commercial break again now. And after the break, I will come back because we'll find out what um, – what uh, Brandt learned from his uh, breakfast and uh, conversations with John Bon Jovi. Uh, we'll also find out um, a little bit about Jimmy Fallon, Bunnies and Cameron Diaz and, uh, and, and how that also helped uh, shape uh, some of the thinking around the three-minute rule. Um, we'll have a little chat about whether we should ditch PowerPoint. So I would strongly recommend that you come back and there'll be some fun conversation after the break and valuable conversation as well. So we'll speak to you again in just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris 
at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Brant Pinvidic. We're talking about the three-minute rule, um, which is Brant's new uh, book. And uh, I think I was explaining, uh, you know, I'm actually already working with this book, and I've only been reading it very recently and finding it hugely valuable. So I am talking very, very passionately about this one. I, I want, if you listen back to the shows, I don't often say an awful lot about people's books unless I think they're they're really, really great. So this is one that um, I'm personally finding very valuable. So I recommend to anybody if you're pitching or if you're in sales sort of conversation, this will be really helpful. I'm absolutely convinced. Um, during the book, um, because Brandt has had this amazing life, he's been a, uh, he's a television producer and an award-winning film director. He's met some pretty cool people. And some of them, there's a few stories in the book, uh, not too many, but there's a few in there about some of the people he's met. And, and, and I wanted to share you know, one or two of them with, and, and talk about them because I think they, they kind of accentuate this around the 30-minute rule that you might find valuable. So I've got to ask you, I'm a big uh, rock fan. I'm a big Bon Jovi fan. So is my wife. And you've been lucky enough to have breakfast with John and meet him on several occasions. Tell me, what did you learn from your meetings with John Bon Jovi? Um, well, I learned, I learned why I'm a big fan, clearly, because he's awesome, <laughs> like ridiculously awesome. But it was interesting because he had called me. Uh, we'd been working on the show. And we were getting ready to pitch it. And he was coming into town. And he called me and said, hey, I got some... I want to go through uh, some of the stuff from the show. Can we meet for breakfast? And I was like, great. Yeah, let's meet for breakfast. And then it was kind of cool because I found out like I was the only one going. So it was going to be just a private breakfast, just Bon Jovi and I, which was like one of the greatest things ever. So, and I remember like saying to the sort of the hostess, you know, it's like, oh yeah, for two with Mr. John Bon Jovi, you know, it was like really cool. Um, but all of the fun of that and walking people, seeing people walk by looking and I'm thinking, yeah, they're like, who's that guy with Bon Jovi? And, and it was really great up until the moment John said like, yeah, I have a huge problem with the show and I don't think it's going to work. And we were pitching like the next day. And he was basically, the idea of the show was that we were going to show like famous rock stars, what their lives could have been like if they didn't get into music, what jobs would they have? Where would they live? What kind of situation would they be in? And they were going to live the life of a quote unquote normal person to see what, you know, it would have been like. And he basically just said like, there's nothing I ever would have done other than music. You've built out this idea of me being a landscaper. I don't even work. I don't even like being outside. I, I don't want to get my hands dirty. Like I've never had a day's labor in my life. Like what the hell are we doing? And I had known this was a problem and I knew that John really didn't feel like this, but normally I would just power through that in the pitch and just like overpower it. But in this situation, John was going to be in the room with me. And if the buyer was talking to him and he was kind of like, not into it, I would be dead on arrival. So I had to basically come up with an idea how we're going to deal with this. And I just said, like, we'll just talk through this in the room, just like you're doing now. And we'll let the buyer come up with ideas. And when I got into the room with the big networks and we just basically said, hey, the rock stars at the level we're talking about most of them have never contemplated anything other than music. So the idea that we're saying that this could have been their life is maybe not really true. So we're going to have to address that somehow. What do you think? And I was shocked how much the network joined in to the conversation. What I thought was the biggest negative element of this pitch turned into a topic of conversation where the network help, helped us solve it. And I started to bring that across all my pitches is – and I ask all my clients, what do you hope your audience doesn't find out? 
because they are going to find it out no matter what. There is no version today where people don't find out the elements that aren't the best. It's just going to happen. So you're far more powerful to bring those up in the room, at the moment, in the middle of the pitch, wherever you can. It it displays a level of confidence in the rest of the information and that you can achieve the goal. And it brings the audience in. And it it was an amazing transition. And what was the outcome of that scenario then? I had multiple offers on that show, but we had other big partners and we could not make a deal. So the show never got to air. Which, by the way, happens all the time, which is the sadness of my business. But yeah, well, that's uh, how it goes. But you learn from you learn from it. So yeah, and the pitches were great. Like I said, we got lots of offers, and people wanted to buy it. But sometimes when you have other companies and other people and other mouths to feed, and people have big ideas and so on and so forth, things don't always work out. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So, and, and that's that's life, isn't it? That's yeah. how it is. And yeah, uh, absolutely. So we, we learn from it, we move, we move on. Um, what about Jimmy Fallon, Bunnies, and Cameron Diaz, which is quite an interesting... I know, it's funny. <laughs> um, to, I, don't, I, know it's, I know this sort of links to you know, part of your you know, process, thinking about the opening and call yeah. back in the end. Of the, yeah, of the, and I use, in the book, as you, as you know, like I use a lot of the, the, the Hollywood storytelling techniques, right? Hollywood's been telling great stories for you know, decades and decades. And I, and I do this thing on stage where it's like, I show you a picture of the Titanic, you know, this boat sinks. So how is it possible that James Cameron can get you to sit in a movie theater quietly in the dark for three hours to watch about a boat that you know is going to sink. Right. And that's, that's the storytelling structure. And so I use a lot of those elements in the book to show people how to use those Hollywood techniques. They're not that complicated to tell your story and and the intro and the opening and the reason for being is why you're in that moment is so powerful and comedians do that so well where they open with a kind of a joke and then they'll call back to it over and over again because they've they've laid out the groundwork for it and Jimmy Fallon did that better than anybody I've ever worked with and you know we sold a show based on the idea that people set Guinness Book of World Records on these major accomplishments but People set weird, strange records, and there was an entire company that cataloged all these weird and strange records. And he, in the room, brought people's attention to the idea that on YouTube he had seen someone in a hammock with 50 bunny rabbits. And he wanted to break that record on his show, and Cameron Diaz came out and broke that record. had 52 bunnies in a hammock. And the way he described the story, and then... You you had to see the video. The the like the network had to see the video once he explained it, and then he we were able to sort of here's where the show is going to go. It was setting up the room for what you wanted them to think next, and it was so brilliant the way he did it. And I watched him do it over and over. We pitched several shows together, and the ability to sort of set the room tone to make people feel a certain way before your pitch starts um, is so easy to do. It's just a matter of knowing the structure. And so it's it's fun to be able to share that with people now. Excellent. I'm going to go and have a look at uh, Bunnies in a Hammock when I, uh, I finish this show. Let's <laughs> get the video. Um, so should we should we be ditching PowerPoint? Oh, man, that's a great question. I, You know, PowerPoint is one of those scourges that I despise because it's one of the most overused and and poorly executed element. And when I work with a company or an individual, I find that that's where the biggest problem is, is they've dumped everything into these PowerPoints. 
listen, PowerPoint or Prezi, whatever you use, can be used really effectively, but it has to help the presentation. It can't do the work for you. And if you couldn't make the presentation flow and explain it to people without it, you've got a problem. So what I really, I have a very strict sort of set of rules that I put in the book on exactly how to build the PowerPoint and how to make it augment what you do effectively. And, you know, no more than 10 slides and these kind of things. And, and the simplicity of how to use the information that you've crafted. So part of me wants to say, I wish PowerPoint burned in a fiery death, but I know that when it's done properly, it can be really powerful. And if you use it right, it works. So, and I still have to use it sometimes when I'm on stage, I need visuals and stuff. So it's, it's just a, a matter of mentally getting to the idea that this is going to help you. Not, it's not a crutch and it's not doing the work for you. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, okay. So it's a tool. It's a tool to help us, um, but actually, what you're what you're engendering is that um, it's much more speaking in a structured way, heartfelt way. Uh, yeah, utilizing your process and, and engaging and allowing people to ask. ask yeah, if questions. you're there in in person or on the phone or connected to someone, it's like this is your time to explain it, not this PowerPoint. And I'll tell you what, I bet people listening right now that have that have made any kind of presentations have done the biggest mistake which is you have a handout that you're going to give to people after and that's your slides and you're using those as your slides you're handing out the same information that you're speaking to and like that is absolutely the wrong way to do it beautiful dense amazing informational handouts are great yeah send those after but those are not what you put on this on the screen those are not what you're using as a powerpoint to give your presentation those things do not blend together and I see that all the time is they just want to throw a slide up. That's basically what they're going to hand out later. Yeah, so these, these are very much then they become that, that detail becomes the appendix if you want it or not. If, if you want, if you, if you need it, you know? Yeah. Then people are going to look through your handouts and the details and the slides that you're sending from a place of desire. They're going to understand what it is and they're going to be looking for things you can't, you throw that up on the screen. They can't read it or it's too much information or, you know, it, it just doesn't work. And people they're they just, can't seem to get out of their own way with PowerPoint. So it's a danger, danger PowerPoint. Yeah. So how, how today, you know, you've had this amazing career and, and now you are, you're consulting and you're speaking and you're writing books. I mean, what, what's, what, what's next for you? You know, I, I produced a lot of television and worked in the entertainment entertainment industry for a long time. And my very first client, when I helped him do his presentation was an oil and gas guy. And he was, the, maybe today still one of the worst presenters I've ever seen. <laughs> and I worked with him and got his presentation into, you know, a really, really good state. And he was much better because it was easier to, to deliver and he felt more confident. And he left me this voicemail almost in tears. And he said, you've changed my life. I've never felt like this before. I've always hated going out to explain what I do. And now I'm looking forward to it. My wife thinks you put something into my drink. She's so happy. And I just remember sitting there listening to this voicemail over and over again going, no one's ever said this to me before. No network executive has ever said that. Like, what's happening? And even with Extreme Makeover and the weight loss shows I did, I, I'd hear that from the people that that lost the weight. But I was one of, you know, a hundred people working on that show that did actually more for them than I did. I just sold the concept, you know. But And once you hear that and you realize you can help people and – and when I see the ability to help people deliver their message, it's like it's kind of consumed me now. And it's 
pulled me out of the day-to-day of television and pulled me into the idea of like, can I help you deliver your message? Will that make you happier? Will you have a different outline for your business and stuff? It's like, it's really hard to to not want to do that all day, every day. So I find myself just trying to find more people to give this message to and to help. Excellent. So good. So, so brilliant. So you, um, you're now, you know, helping people craft presentations at a, at a high level to, to win pitches. That's your, yeah. Where you passion yeah and, from. I, and I love that. And it's, and it's anybody I like I plumbing contractors to CEOs. Like I just, I'm a sucker for this. It, it brings me so much joy to see people turn their idea of how to communicate upside down and get they say less and they get better results and it's just it's really thrilling for me and i i, I would do it for anybody that asked at this point excellent uh, wonderful uh, absolutely brilliant a lovely conversation i just wonder if you've got any final messages that you'd like to leave us with just got another minute before i need to wrap up the biggest thing to think of is any picture presentation anything you're trying to convey to anybody it's not about everything you want to say it's about only what needs to be said and the truth is it's taken me 20 years of doing this to get the ability to take something down to three minutes. So it's not super easy to do until you understand the process. And I think with the book, why people are are responding to it and it's resonating is it it's the simplest version to simplify your information. And the structure is there to do it for anything you want to present to anybody, whether it's you want to convince your wife to go on a certain holiday or you got to ask for a raise, whatever it is, if you can follow the basics and simplify it and have the confidence in your information, it, it, will, it can change your life. Excellent. Well, th- thank you so much for being on the show. I love talking to you, Brant. And I, I love this. Um, I love the three-minute concepts. The book's great. Uh, it's going to be very helpful to a lot of people. I also love this um, high-intensity uh, lifestyle that you you have. I think there's a lot we can learn from that too. Enjoy talking about John Bon Jovi and Jimmy Fallon and Bunnies and Cameron Diaz. Has been, uh, <laughs> been wonderful. Uh, and I think what you've done is you've given us a real good steer in terms of how to. You know, improve and focus and I think if anyone's listening and thinking actually I could do with some help with this you can be an amazing guy with some race experience to help them so um, how can people contact you if you want to if they want to contact you about you working with them yeah I'm, I'm pretty easy to find on all those social networks at Brant Pinvidic my website brantpinvidic.com I've got there too and about the book is the three minute rule.com and you can go there and and I'm pretty easy to find so always open to discuss I, I say in the book like I'll read any presentation you send me <laughs> anything you want to share as long as it's less than three minutes <laughs> fantastic well I know your book's available on Barnes and Noble now amazon.com amazon.co.uk uh, so once again huge thank you Brant been brilliant absolutely thanks Chris and also, just on next to let you know, on next week's show, um, we ha- have got um, uh, Anne Wozniacki. Um, Esther, Esther Wozniacki. Um, Esther is uh, going to talk to us about how to raise successful people, and she knows just how to do that. Um, her her teaching has helped thousands and thousands of kids, and she's um, she's also the uh, mother who brought up um, YouTube CEO Susan Wozniacki, so it's uh, and Fulbright Scholar. Janet Waziki and um, also 23andMe founder Anne Waziki. So she's had some great experience and she's written this amazing book on how to raise successful people. Um, so I'm looking forward to talking to Esther next week. So huge thank you to Brant. Huge thank you to Wendy Keller of Keller Media as well. And I wish you all well.
We thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.